Good morning. So good to see you all this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. I want to welcome those of you watching online. I want to welcome those of you who are new to our congregation. If you're new here, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor. And at the end of our service, I'd love to meet you. If uh, I'll be down in the lobby area, so uh, please approach me. I'd love to get your name before you head out. We are focusing on the Ten Commandments. We've been doing so over the past uh, month, and we're up to the Sixth Commandment. And so this is going to be a hard one to memorize, but the sixth one is as such, you shall not murder. Okay, let's go home. We're done. Uh, that's, that's about it there. That's our text. You shall not murder. It's the sixth commandment. And on the surface, it might seem pretty straightforward, but there's so many layers, just like the fifth commandment last week had so many layers. This one has so many layers as well. And so by God's grace, I hope to unpack it and let us be mindful of the ways that the Spirit of God wants to speak in us and to us. And so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, open our hearts now to your word. Open our eyes so that we may see what you want us to see. And Lord, open our ears so that we may hear what you want us to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. As I thought about the sixth commandment this week, I thought about my son, Nathan. A couple of years ago when Nathan was just learning how to talk, he saw a bug getting close to him. And some kids like bugs. Some kids play with bugs, but not my son. Because he's my son and I'm terrified of bugs, Nathan is terrified of bugs. And so when he saw this bug, he looked at me and with his limited grasp of the English language, said three words, kill it, daddy. Those are the three words he said, kill it, daddy. Now he was just starting to talk, barely constructing sentences. But yet with clarity and articulation, spoke those three words, kill it, daddy. Now, I don't know if he got that killing language from me or his mother. I don't know. (laughs) But it made me think that one of the marks of living in a fallen world is that we kill. Now, listen, some bugs deserve to die, okay? Hashtag all bugs don't matter, okay? Let's just just say it that way. But I'm not talking about bugs here when we're looking at the Sixth Commandment. I'm talking about the larger consequential realities of human existence, and the reality is we kill. When you look at Scripture, you see that in the very early pages of the story of the Bible, there is a surprising and drastic turn. That so much is crammed in the first chapters of the Bible. We see stories of creation. We see the story of the garden. We see the story of humanity communing with God in communion with God. We see the story of the serpent. We see the story of sin entering into the world. And at the end of chapter 3, just chapter 3, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And what we see at the beginning of chapter 4 is that the first manifestation of sin outside of life in the garden is murder. The first manifestation of sin. 
outside of the garden is murder. And not just murder between two enemies. Murder between one brother and another. You find the story of Cain and Abel. Abel uh, offers an offering that pleases God. Cain offers an offering that does not please God. God is pleased with Abel. He's not pleased with Cain. And as a result, Cain is angered. He's jealous. He's enraged. And at that moment, he plots to kill his brother and does so. And right after he kills him, the Lord finds Cain. I love that God continues to pursue us. In the garden, they sin, and, 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 the, and the Lord pursues Adam and Eve. Outside of the garden, Cain sins, and the Lord pursues him and asks a question. He says, where is your brother? And Cain responds with this question, a very famous question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are to be your brother's protector, but you've killed him. Now, the entire Old Testament is challenging because a good portion of it contains killing. It's actually a very bloody book. Lots of war, lots of battle, lots of palace intrigue, which leads to murder. And you'd be hard-pressed to read the Bible, to thumb through its pages, to flip through its pages without constantly, consistently coming across stories of killing, stories of murder. And what we see in our text today is this very simple word that God wants to set people free from murder. Set people free from killing. Do not murder. People who have been set free by God are to be released from the human tendency to take life. If I could say it this way, uh, free people exist to protect and cultivate life. And this is where we come to our text this morning. Now, as we've been exploring the Ten Commandments, we have seen that these are particular commandments to the people of God who have been set free by God. They have lived as slaves for 400 years under the thumb of Pharaoh in slavery in Egypt. And God finally rescues them from the hand of Pharaoh. And it is out of this deliverance that God offers these commandments. And the reason God gives these commandments are twofold. One having to do with identity and the other having to do with mission. God was reminding them, you are not a slaves any longer. There is a new identity that you have. And these commandments are given to show you this new identity because at its core, these commandments show us what God is like, shows us the very character of God. And we are to now reflect this character of God, and so the commandments are given because of identity. But secondly, these commands are given because of mission. God wanted his people to know you are not just to be different for the sake of yourself. You are to be different for the sake of the world, that the world is to know something about God because of his people. And one of the sad realities of life for the church is often we cannot distinguish the people of God from the world. Our actions are often very consistent with the world. We are in the world and of the world often. And we cannot often distinguish the people of God from the rest of the world. And yet God gives this people this renewal of a covenant to say, I have called you to be a blessing to the nations. I've called you to have a new identity and a new sense of mission, that through your witness, people will know of this God. 
And so they come out of 400 years of a world that's marked by idolatry, a world that's marked by adultery, a world that's marked by murder, lying, slavery. And God says, now that you're free, you are to live as free people do. Now, it bears repeating that the Ten Commandments are given, not simply to avoid breaking them. The Ten Commandments are given not simply to avoid breaking them. The goal of the Ten Commandments is not to abstain from breaking them. It's to live into the new reality, actually the positive side of the commandment. Because you could avoid breaking the Ten Commandments and still be in bondage. You could avoid breaking every single one of them and still be a slave. And so the goal of the Ten Commandments is not to avoid breaking them. As one Old Testament professor said, most of the commands can be kept by staying in bed all day and avoiding human contact. (laughs) You can avoid breaking them by staying in bed all day and avoiding human contact. What, worship only one God, just stay in bed. Just, just say the name of Jesus. Well, just, in bed, you're doing just fine. Don't make an idol, just stay in your bed. Don't take your jewelry and make it into a golden calf. Just, you'll, you'll be all right. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, just stay in bed. Don't talk to anyone, don't misuse the Lord's name. Remember the Sabbath, you're doing a great job. You're in bed already, just <laughs> take a nap. Don't murder, there's no one around me to murder. I'm just, I'm just staying in bed. Don't commit adultery, I'm the only one in bed, okay? I, I just, you can avoid breaking the Ten Commandments, but still be in bondage. And so the goal of the Ten Commandments is not to avoid breaking them, but to live into the positive aspect of them. And so I want to focus more intentionally now on this Sixth Commandment. Now, there was nonstop pressure in Egypt to perform. And so the book of Exodus is noted for its slavery. It's noted for the people uh, experience oppression. And at the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see that the people of God were, uh, were growing, they were, they were multiplying, and so to curb their growth in the event that they would recognize their power as the people and overwhelm the people of Egypt, Pharaoh gives these instructions. And we see the power of death in Egypt. It says in chapter 1, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. From the very beginning in the book of Exodus, we see that life in Egypt, in Egypt, ancient Egypt, life was dispensable. There were some lives that mattered, and there were other lives that did not matter. There were lives that were seen as valued, There were other lives that were not seen as valued. And and this is the reality of that day. And so could you imagine, if you live in a world in which for 400 years, this is the air you breathe, this is the water you drink, there'll be some lives that are seen as valuable and other lives that are seen as not valuable. And so into this reality, God redeems his people and showing them that knowing that they have been shaped for 400 years gives them a new constitution. And so there's a new way of being. There's a new rule for your life. There's a new uh, way of living into this new reality that you are free people. Do not murder. Now, in our day, there are uh, endless words to describe the various killing that takes place. In the English language, we have many different words to describe murder. 
We have homicide or, or killing. We have homicide, which is the act of killing someone intentionally. Manslaughter, the act of killing someone unintentionally. Suicide, the act of killing oneself. Euthanasia, the act of killing for some form of compassionate reason. Genocide, the act of uh, killing an entire racial or ethnic group. In the English language, we, we, we have different words for killing animals and an organism. We have ba- ba- bactericide, killing bacteria. Felicide, killing cats. Canicide, killing dogs. Pesticides, killing pests. We have so many words to talk about the various killing that takes place in our society. The list goes on and on. In Hebrew, in this word here, murder, it's actually a word that comes up 47 times in the New Testament. They're very different words for murder here. But God uses this word for one reason, and we see it fleshed out in the book of Genesis in chapter 9. But God is against murder very simply because of this. All human life is made in the image of God. Why is murder wrong? Why, why is murder spoken of in the Ten Commandments? Because we deface and destroy one made in the image of God. Every single person on this planet is made in the image of God. Your worst enemy is made in the image of God. Every single person is made in the image of God. Now that image might be seen to be marred, that image might seem to be defaced because of wickedness and evil of some, but every single person is made in the image of God. And, and, and whenever life is taken, it is a serious matter to God because in God's dream and God's hope and God's in God's world and God's intent for the world God has called us to be a generative people a people who produce life not take life and God has called us to flourish in this way that the ending of life is inconsistent with the character of God and our calling in the world and so how do we live this out how do we live out this command In a world marked by violence, in a world marked by death, this is very complicated. Now, there have been endless debates about social ethics as it pertains to killing. Talk about capital punishment. Talk to someone about uh, protecting our schools. Talk to someone about the use of force by law enforcement. Talk to someone about war. You're in for a very intense conversation. There are lots of tensions, so many different layers, and yet we're called to be different than the world. We're called to discern our way in the world as we look to the truth of Scripture, as we look to the revelation of Jesus Christ and who Christ is. How do we live this out in the world? I want to offer just four ways of living this out, living this commandment out, four ways of living this sixth commandment out in the world. And I want to say the first one this way. How do we live this out? Very simply, first of all, we are called to be a pro-life people. We are called to be a pro-life people. Back to the story of Cain and Abel for a moment. Cain dismissively asked God, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for his life? Am I responsible for his flourishing? Am I responsible for his well-being? And God's answer is yes. You are responsible for your neighbor's flourishing. You are responsible for your neighbor's well-being. You are responsible for your neighbor's protection. We are called to be a pro 
life people. Now, when I speak of being pro-life, I'm speaking not from a position of political partisanship. Because the term pro-life has sadly been a kind of one-issue phrase, and many have used that phrase to validate one group of people and to demonize another group of people. And so when I talk about being pro-life, I'm talking about us working for the flourishing of life, working for the protection of life from womb to tomb. I'm talking about seeing the value of life, not based on who we want to control the government. Seeing the value of life, not from who we want to be in political power. This is a worldly way of living, a sinful way of living, that we determine what constitutes life based on who we want to be in power. That's a worldly, sinful way of living in the world. We are called to be pro-life not because it aligns with a political party. We are called to be pro-life because it aligns with the God of life. And so this includes challenging and painful realities like abortion. That to be pro-life is to recognize that the living being inside a mother's womb is not an it. It's a being that has a particular, is at a particular stage of development made in the image of God. To be pro-life means that we are to do all we can to support and love people. Even though a human being might not see this other human being as fully developed and as fully human, this developing being is made in the image of God. Because God is the God of life. And we are called now to do all we can to work for the flourishing and the protection of all human beings. The CDC has stated a report in a recent survey that unmarried women account for 86% of abortions. And I don't know the stories or the situations behind these statistics, but I do wonder how many people had a lack of community of concern and care to support them on their journey. And for those of you who have had an abortion, I grieve with you. I weep with you. The impact it's had on your life, I imagine, is, might be devastating, and God's mercy is for you. But to be pro-life applies to the child in the womb. And I recognize I'm a man saying this. I recognize that some might find it difficult to hear me because of my gender. And yet I'm reminded that all of life is made in the image of God. But I also want to say that to be pro-life extends beyond abortion because you can be anti-abortion and not be pro-life. I think about mass shootings. In New Zealand recently, there was a mass shooting at a mosque. 50 people were killed. And immediately, the prime minister of New Zealand said, our gun laws will change. It took one tragic mass shooting for New Zealand leadership 
to seek to make important changes. And in our country, time and time again, mass shooting after mass shooting, what our political leaders offer is thoughts and prayers. To be pro-life extends to all of life. That every person is made in the image of God, which is why when you classify someone as not being human, it makes it easier to treat that person without care and concern. Whether that means calling a prenatal child a fetus, or whether it means calling an undocumented immigrant an illegal, if you can somehow make it seem as if that person is not made in the image of God, it's very easy to treat that person without care or concern, and yet we are called to be pro-life. To be pro-life means that we, we don't, that age doesn't determine our value. That we don't idolize youth. That the elderly are not to be disregarded, thrown away. That we are not to be flippant. And I recognize that all of these issues pertaining to social ethics are so multi-layered, so multifaceted. And I'm not here to say it's, it's this or that. And, and, and if you know my preaching and if you know me, this, this is not how I'm trying to address these issues. And I recognize that the reality of all these issues are complicated. And yet, throughout all of this, we are called to be people who work for the flourishing and the protection of all human life. I think about a man named Thomas James. I just met him, actually, this past week. I was speaking in Virginia, and I was looking online, and I came across something he wrote, and it happened to be the church that I was speaking at in Virginia. And so I I actually met him, a guy who I was reading of all the searches on the Internet. I I met this random guy in a Methodist church, and, and I was really taken aback by some of his words. And he said along these lines about the Sixth Commandment, that you shall not kill is more than not being the one to pull the trigger. You shall not kill is about ensuring that no more senseless deaths take place on our watch. You shall not kill is about ensuring that people have the means they need to survive in the blistering summer heat and the frigid winter cold. You shall not kill means advocating on behalf of those whose lives are being taken from them. It's not a matter of justified or unjustified. It's not a matter of hatred or enmity. It's not a matter of premeditated or accidental. You shall not kill, period. We are called to be a pro-life people. Uh, Secondly, what does this mean for us, the Sixth Commandment? Well, I would submit to you that it also means that we are to grieve when life is lost. Regardless of who the person is, we grieve when life is lost. As a Christian, we grieve when life is lost. That, That means that whenever this country's perceived political or real political enemies are killed in another part of the world, we weep because this is not what God had in mind. I see people in our country, uh, people being bombed in other places in the world, deaths taking place, and people in our country rejoicing. This is anti-Christian. We grieve as people of God whenever life is taken. We grieve. This is not what God intended. This is not God's dream for the world. 
This is inconsistent with what God had in mind. We grieve when life is lost. No matter who it is, we grieve. This is why Psalm 20, uh, Proverbs 24 says it this way. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Why? This is not how it was intended to be. Therefore, we are to grieve. But third, it goes on. How do we respond to this passage? How do we respond to this commandment? Thirdly, it is this. We are called to address the murder in our hearts. We are called to address the murder in our hearts. Jesus actually takes this command and he deepens it. He takes this command, and in Matthew 5, this is what he says. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be danger in the fire of hell. We should memorize that last one when we're driving on Queens Boulevard. Uh, you know, anyone says you fool will be danger of the fire of hell. Now, up to this point, the religious people of the day thought, if they didn't kill anyone, they're good. I haven't physically killed anyone. I'm doing great. But Jesus says in God's kingdom, it's deeper than that. He says, if you're angry with your brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. And so when he talks about, in Matthew 5, he's talking about a particular anger that is destructive. He, 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 the, the word he uses in Greek, I talked about this last year, is orgazomenos. It's a particular word for anger. It's a particular present tense, perpetual present tense kind of a word. To, to, to translate it, Jesus is saying this, whoever is carrying anger, remaining angry, Whoever is nursing a grudge, we find ourselves violating this commandment. Now, this is not just a spur-of-the-moment, uh, situational kind of anger. The other day, I was dropping my kids off at school, and I had to parallel park to, to just get them out there, and, and I was a little bit late, and I'm, I'm about to parallel park, and now there's, there's some traffic behind me, and someone just starts beeping the horn and trying to get close, and, and, and so I was, I, I was just anxious and, 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 so, and, and getting angry, and, and so I just, uh, I lowered the window, and I looked out and said, what's the problem? Just like that, just like that, and I realized, oh, I hope it's not a congregant. I just said, I hope it's not... <laughs> What's the problem? And I said, oh, Lord. And then I just I lifted it up there and, and, just, and just kept going. It was a, it was a mo I had a moment. I had a moment. I had a moment. You ever have a moment? Don't look at me like that. Don't, don't look at me. You ever had a moment? All right. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Yeah, he's talking about you. He's talking, he's talking about you. Yeah. We've all had the moment. We've all had the situational moments, haven't we? I'm not talking about that kind of anger. I, what I'm getting at is the, it's the anger that can be turned more resentment. You're, you're, you're nursing it. It makes you feel good to not like that person. You're, you're, you're nursing it. You're taking care of it. The orgasomenos that turns into raka, what Jesus said, you're nursing it. The same way you would, you would nurse a child who's not feeling well. That's the anger that Jesus is talking. You're taking care of it. You're feeding it. You're helping it to survive. That's orgazomenos. Jesus says that kind of anger is destructive. 
It destroys you, and sooner or later, you will destroy someone else. And we destroy people, don't we? With our thoughts. We destroy people with our words, don't we? We destroy people with our behavior. And the reality is, you can be so-called pro-life and have words of death flowing through you. And so we are to name, essentially, the murder flowing in our hearts before it comes out into action. And Jesus essentially says, all of us, when we're nursing this, have violated this command. And so here we are, invited by him to let it go. Lastly is this, and then we're going to have a time of prayer together. What does it mean to, to, to live this out? Well, it, it means that we, uh, we're, we're pro-life people. We grieve when life is lost. We address the murder in our hearts. And, and lastly, we, we follow the one who has conquered death. We follow the one who's conquered death. Any conversation on this topic must begin, for the Christian, must begin and end with Jesus. He is the prince of peace. He is the giver of life. He's the one who has conquered death. We take our talking points from him. We don't decide our thoughts on a matter based on what a political party says. We don't decide our thoughts on a matter based on whether something is lawful or not. We don't base our thoughts on this matter based on what is beneficial to our nation. Because just because a political party says something is good doesn't mean it is. Just because the law says something is good doesn't mean it is. Just because a nation might benefit from it doesn't mean it is good. We look to Jesus. We look to the God who has conquered death. We look to the God who works for the flourishing of life. And all of this is staggering news. When we look to Jesus, we also find in our lives and for our world the stunning good news, the stunning good news of the gospel, the gospel of grace. What do we say to this, this, this commandment? What do we say to those of us who have violated it? What do we say to those of us who have lived with a kind of Matthew 5 sense of murder in our hearts? Well, we look to Jesus. And what does the gospel say? Number one, The gospel says Jesus forgives murderers. What does the gospel say? Jesus forgives murderers. Just look at Jesus on the cross for a moment. While he is being murdered, he looks out into the crowd and says, Father, forgive them as he's being murdered. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. The gospel of grace is stunning. It's hard for many of us to receive. And as one person said, grace seems unfair until you need some. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. I want you to look at your life for a moment. 
Jesus Christ absorbing our sin on his body. Jesus Christ, the one who dies on our behalf, who absorbs every wicked deed, every murder throughout human history on his body, conquers it and speaks words of life. Father, forgive them because they do not know it. The, the good news of the gospel is God offers forgiveness. But the other part of the good news of the gospel is not only that God offers forgiveness, God offers us freedom from a heart that has been ruled by murder. The gospel is not just the message that you're forgiven. The gospel is the good news that you can be set free. Set free from a heart that violates this commandment of because of what Christ has done in the sending of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to live with that level of hatred, the level of resentment, the level of anger, the level of orgazomenos that leads to raka. You don't have to live with that. You can be set free in the name of Jesus. And that's what the good news of the gospel is. It offers shocking forgiveness and transformative freedom for those who would submit their lives to Jesus Christ to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my own heart as it is in heaven. And so where do we go from here? Well, very simply, we offer our lives to Jesus. We offer our hearts to Jesus. We ask the Lord to forgive us, and God's grace is for you. We ask the Lord to free us from the ways of this world, from the ways of sin and death, from the ways of killing and murder, that through his power he can make us into a free people. The question before us is what do you need to confess? What do you need to offer to God? What needs forgiveness? What needs freedom? And that's what I want to end my time with today. God wants to forgive you in Jesus. And God wants to free you in his name. But it means we offer ourselves to him. Let's pray together. I want to invite our prayer team to just come right in front of me here. And as we've been doing throughout the season of Lent, we've been responding with intercession and prayer for one another. Because we believe when we pray for one another, there is a unique expression of the power of God. And so prayer team, just come forward wherever you're at. Just come, come forward here and stand right in front and we're going to sing uh, one or two songs together and and as we sing as the spirit is leading you if you sense I, yeah, I need prayer today I want to be set free from resentment and anger I need forgiveness for the sins that I've committed Jesus is here we'll have folks in the balcony as well so whoever's praying in the balcony if um, you can make your way up there and um, we want to pray for you but we're going to sing for a few moments and as the spirit leads you feel free to come forward for prayer Lord Jesus what good news the gospel is to a world that has torn itself apart to a people who are often shaped by violence 
and hatred and destructive anger. Lord, your gospel is good news for a world that has been overwhelmed with bad news. Lord, look at our hearts, look at our sin, look at our past. And Lord, when you look at us, you have grace and mercy waiting for us because of what Jesus has done in his conquering of sin and death. Lord, teach us to repent. Teach us to turn our lives to you. Free us from a society that is marked by destructive anger. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Lead us in the way we should go. We sing to you now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll sing for a few moments. And as you're led, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Let's sing. Isn't he worth 
people of God in ancient times for 400 years were marked by violence, murder, killing, and we come from a country and a history, and we're in our 400th year as a country, a country that has often been marked by murder and killing violence and in the same way that the people of God were shaped by this surrounding ethos we find ourselves in it as well and yet Jesus has called his people to be different that through his life through the power of the spirit that we are called to be a people who brings life so this is why we pray for one another because I can't do it in my own strength. I, I need the body of Christ. I need the people of God. I need encouragement. I need reminders. I need grace. I need mercy. And so we'll stay here as long as we need to if you want to receive prayer. 
But I want to invite also whoever's offering the bread and the cup to, to come forward. And we're just going to offer a communion for those who want to receive it at the end of my benediction here. And we come and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, reminding ourselves that this simple meal, something happens in it where the mystical presence of Jesus is available to us. Through his broken body, his poured out blood, and when we take bread and we dip it in a cup, we're saying, Lord, may, may we work for the flourishing of life in this world, however form and shape it takes. May we be a people known through life, serving the God of life. And so our prayer team is here. We have Rick, one of our elders, who will offer the bread and the cup. But as we close, I invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Now, some of you, you came in here, you're not a Christian. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never received a new heart that only can come through faith in him. And as a result, you will live your entire life fighting to live this commandment, but never fully, truly living it. Because only those who have been set free by Jesus can live this out in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian today, why keep trying in your own strength? Let Jesus rescue you. Let him save you. Let him deliver you. Let him empower you. He wants to give you his very life so that you can live in this world offering life. And so our prayer team will be here. If you're not a Christian, we'd love to pray for you. If you're watching online, if you're not a Christian, a simple word of Jesus, fill me with your life. Forgive me my sins. When mixed with faith, God begins to set us on a new journey. And so let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And um, let me bless you all here. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive. And may he so fill you with his spirit that you become a wellspring of life, offering the life of God to those around you in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the life-giving name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to you all.